The theme for the afternoon talk is the development of the senses. When we take a, a overview, a look at our life, the uh, basics, which is always the best for uh, any deep exploration, is one in which we might say life consists of consciousness, being a conscious human being, heart, and mind and body, the makeup of us as sentient beings on this earth, and the world uh, in which we live. We get very much used to the general sense and construct, this is life. I am a human being, I live and breathe and walk on uh, this earth, I spend X amount of time, years here, and there is this world which I can influence in various ways, for better or worse, and the world has its influence and impact on myself, also for better or worse. So here I am engaged in this uh, uh, process. And the view that we have, I am living in the world, and the world is full of different things, is a socially agreeable view in which probably the vast majority of people agree with. I'm a human being living in the world, I was born, I live and I die. And this perception and this view is rather deeply embedded into us as if it's the truth. As if this is the only way of viewing existence. And there are other ways to uh, explore. And what I would like to touch upon with you uh, uh, this afternoon is this remarkable event of the senses. So here is this, uh, the body, the physical, and embedded in it, so to speak, uh, are the senses. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. It's only uh, the five, <coughs> pardon me, only the five uh, of them. It's not a lot, but sometimes it can seem to be a lot to have to deal with. But it is just five. And what is, for us as human beings who evolved through the passage of change and uh, time, is that each one of these senses, in its function and purpose, is quite different from the other. To, to see, colour. And so, in just the opening of the eyes, there is a process which takes place which is common to all human beings without exception. So I just sit, I close my eyes, I open my eyes, and the very immediate impression actually is a patch of colour. Very, very quickly, that patch of colour becomes a perception, meaning I open my eyes and it seems like 
it's completely simultaneous between the opening of the eye, the patch of the colour and recognising right now the perception is there is a group of people who are in front of me and therefore there is uh, oneself sitting here and the, the object of the sight a group of people who are sitting which is due to the memory which recognises and in the Dharma <coughs> the word sanya perception <coughs> implies in it <coughs> this is the way I am seeing or perceiving now this is the way I am looking at something now I could look in another way I might just look and say bundles of energy are in front there is the uh, evolution of life manifesting itself there are men and women showing themselves all have some difference in the way of the viewing and it can be viewed from age and colour and size and shape so to repeat it a bit there's the touch the recognition and then there is the view of what is looked at what is perceived and from that immediate touch upon us that can then start a process and that process can give certain values to what I look at I might say oh, I'm very happy and privileged as I am to sit here in uh, uh, front of you the Sangha I have a value for that there's a sharing which is going on and a person may look and their way of looking at it is ah it's so hard it's obvious everybody is struggling and uh, they, they don't know what they're doing and they're walking around all so slowly they're obviously zombies and blah, blah, blah. I hear all these views by the way over the years uh, there so then there's that movement into the shaping of the view about what we perceive we shape the view what we perceive the shaping of the view of what we perceive we believe is based on what's there and we forget it's based on our history it's based on our conditioning the same principle applies we hear and the sounds come to us from the birds in the trees to the traffic uh, which is around and it touches us in a certain way for the sound to reach us it has to travel through the silence if there was no silence between the ear ears and the sound it would never reach us and then when the sound reaches us it uh, touches us there is the bare sound and the same dynamic <coughs> there is the hearing 
there is a recognition, oh, the chuk-chuks are just going by there, the voice is uh, in the room, and once again, something happens after that, and we're interested in what happens after that. Or to put it in a more transcendent way, what is the difference between the way a Buddha listens, sees and listens, and we do? can't be that big a difference still eyes and ears same with the smell uh, there same with the taste and same with the touch impression recognition sometimes leading onwards to uh, some response and these five responses are extraordinarily important in problematic life there and this is where to get to know ourselves the teachings have make reference to that which hinders that which gets in the way there sometimes it could be in the marketplace of uh, uh, Varanasi which incidentally I just heard yesterday is extremely overcrowded at the moment because there are lots of pilgrims who are finished the, uh, the Yatra to Allahabad and they're uh, in Varanasi. Hotel rooms are booked, just giving you a health warning here, and it's very full and very noisy. And as one person said to me here who's been in India for the last uh, month or two, that actually this retreat is the quietest place they've found so far in India. So for those of you who have just arrived, just remember what this experienced person said. This is the quietest place they have found in India since they arrived a month or two ago. Uh, uh, there probably are a few quiet places. I, I seem to remember one in the middle of Rajasthan, where the desert is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So there is this world of the, of, the, of the senses there. You appreciate here how much diversity every day, the sheer number of differences of things which come to us, our eyes, our ears, our nose and touch, how much in a single day coming, 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 touching, touching. And out of that multiplicity, out of that extraordinary number of impressions, some of them will matter to us more than others. It's appropriate, sometimes. And that could be because of our heart, love, whatever, to whoever, or whatever, it could it could be <coughs> because of the uh, power of the interest and curiosity, teachings, practices, and sangha. It could be very much due to memory, whatever that memory may be about. So that which has touched us, or is touching us. Certain persons, places, 
and things in life matter more to us than other things. Therefore, out of this huge field of things and people and places and situations, some, for all of us, from the Buddhas to the most ordinary mind, some will matter more than others. Our practice and exploration is to be as clear as possible with ourselves. Who and what matters to us a great deal? One. And secondly, what is the relationship to who and what matters? So, if we have family members, older than us, same age, younger, much younger, grandchildren, whatever it might be, they will matter more than others. The view is not the same. You and I will make reference more to family members than other family members, uh, etc. There are one or two of you here who need, while on the retreat, to use your mobile phone because you know there is a very sick family member and you do need to check in while you are here that she, he is okay and there. There are one or two people here who do need every day to contact their uh, children uh, uh, in this case to see that they're okay and have communication and you need your mobile phone uh, for that because they're your family and you love them and and you want to have contact but you don't need your mobile phone just to entertain yourself you don't need your mobile phone to look at Facebook to check out hotels and other places so my request to you who have been using the mobile phone that it's not out of love it's not out of concern for your children or for your sick father or mother or whatever please don't It's a distraction. It's an avoidance. It's entertainment. It's a nightmare. So in the exploration of what we see and what we hear uh, there, the development of the senses in the Dharma is to really develop the use of our eyes the use of our ears and the other senses, really open it out with, this is the challenge, without wanting what I see and hear. There's no use you and I complaining about uh, the world is being destroyed, consumerism and capitalism is probably it is, not probably, it is the most destructive force that's ever existed on this earth. This is the worst time, one of the worst times in history to be living in because it is systematically killing the earth in the space of a hundred years. Our scientists are telling us that the temperature going above 1.5 degrees, which you we all know, probably all know about, then they try to switch at the politicians to two degrees and the uh, scientists, the UN scientists, more than 2,000 of them says 
This earth cannot tolerate this in gradual increase in the earth's temperature of one point, above 1.5 deg de degrees. So these extreme colds, which some of you from the United States are experiencing, but the extreme heat is even greater and the temperature has gone up. In January, that means last week of last month, for the first time it hit three degrees. We are, it's not a future crisis, it's not climate change anymore, it is climate crisis. And human behaviour, essentially capitalism and consumerism, is a primary cause for this. And it's not just Christopher with an idea, it's enormous, enormous work from our scientists, enormous research, enormous programmes and computers and, and technology, hundreds, thousands of scientists looking at this situation. I have trust in their perception. And, but also, as uh, one of our teachers, leading Yatra uh, in the Himalayas, um, just uh, one or two uh, year, years ago, the local, local people uh, said, we don't need scientists to tell us about the change. Just look. Look at that glacier there. 30 years ago it was huge. And look at the size of it. It's shrinking. It's going to be nothing within two or three years at this rate. We don't need the people in Kerala to tell us that this is that the, of the floods which are taking place. They witness it. They live through it with all the destruction that goes with it. Something is going on between, due to the lack of development of the senses, that instead of expanding our eyes and ears, we, what we are doing, we are using our senses in a corrupt way to destroy the earth. By taking the capital, drawing on it as much as we can, because the relationship to the object, that influence of the habit, of the tendency, of the conditioning, of the programming inside of us, is senses in order to take from, in order to have more of. And the earth obviously is not infinite. The resources are diminishing while the greed is increasing. The tragic situation that we are living in. So on the collective level, that means us here, is there a way that I can observe, be mindful, heartful, and find more enjoyment and happiness in what I cannot own? Is, are there, is there a way I can feel greater joy and happiness through all the senses n without the desire to have to own. I remember once of these little moments and situations of life years ago, uh, decades ago, 
Uh, I'd spent some years in the monastery doing the practice similar to what we're doing uh, here, full timetable, 4 a.m. till 10 p.m. Uh, at night in the uh, silence. To some extent, being a teacher gives one a little opportunity to kind of keep the same theme. It's rather the atmosphere is rather similar to the to, to the monastery, and having probably given a thousand retreats over the last forty years, okay, I feel quite at home with it. So after the monastery, I went to the cave. Nothing special or unusual about it uh, there, and it was on Kopangang Island which has changed a bit. Uh, in 1973, if I may say, I think I was, I think I was the only Westerner I actually saw on the island. And uh, there was a, these days, famous for its full moon uh, parties. I used to have full moon party, full moon party of one in the cave. And little incidents, just tiny, something well, a couple of touched one uh, there. One of them was just sitting outside the cave on the ledge, just above the coconut grove, looking out to the sea, the Gulf of Siam in, uh, in this case, one of those lovely, precious, clear evenings. The sky was sparkling with the, with the stars and just looking out at this vastness uh, there with the uh, eyes uh, there and, and I, the thought arose God, it's incredible that these little balls in this spot can look out and see right out there into the universe right out there across the ocean I mean, how cool is that? And one knows, you know, it's what I'm looking at is not a piece of real estate. I'm not going to go, you have to go down the, the road tomorrow morning and say, oh, I think I'll buy that. It's poor. And that happiness and that joy of just this instrument being able to witness. And then on another, another uh, uh, occasion, well, in the night, while doing my meditation uh, practice uh, on the ledge, there was a tree there. Actually, a few weeks later, it's another story, got uprooted by a hurricane. But it's another, another story. And while sitting there on this uh, ledge, there with the, the tree there, maybe one or two o'clock in the, in the morning, and suddenly I heard psst. And the thought arose, it's impossible, it sounds sound like somebody kind of um, getting contact with me, psst, psst, like that. And I opened, opened my eyes and there was this snake on the branch hanging down there and maybe half a metre maximum from my eyes like that both in the moonlight staring at each other and uh, so I, I was remarkably still I can tell you there's nothing like a snake for stillness 
And in that stillness, the two of us looking so closely at each other's eyes, really intimate, I mean, how sexy is that? (laughs) (laughs) And I just knew that just to stay very still, very, very still, and we just stayed there together, him just hanging down there, looking with a certain curiosity in his eyes. And the, the only thought um, uh, that arose was, I was not sure if it was a cobra or a rat snake. They both have a slightly similar shade uh, there. One only knows the cobra because if it's a little agitated, of course, up comes the hood. Then one is in shit trouble, I have to add. But, so just keeping there, just not knowing, impression to the senses, keeping calm and steady with what's uh, present, uh, and just looking, just looking. And then after a while, he got bored with me, and uh, made his way back up in, in, uh, in, into the tree. And sometimes in life, these, the unexpected situations uh, uh, in life, they touch something kind of deep, kind of deep in the being, deep in the connection, uh, or in the uh, int- intimacy. And the wonder and the amazing phenomena of li- life is, we need these moments. We do our practice, we do our explorations there, but sometimes in that development of the the senses, it gives an opportunity for something which wasn't seen, wasn't felt, wasn't touched upon, suddenly to emerge out. And our life is nourished by these events. We're not looking for an ongoing equanimity with life. We're not looking just to be quiet, nice, decent people. We're expanding and taking an interest in our senses with a background of a certain awareness all being well, to be able to stay steady with this world of objects. Because this world of objects, people and places and situations, may not be as problematic as we imagine. Some situations, of course, and not uh, avoiding or uh, denying that. So... From exploring life and my relationship to the world of objects, yeah. there are two things I want to look at in the feeling life in relationship to what I look at. Two things in the feeling life I want to take real notice of in my relationship to the world of objects. And as I say, out there there's only five ways they can come to us, not ten, not twenty. It's only eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. It's not that much. One of them is called attraction. And the other 
is called aversion. And these two forces in, inside of attraction and aversion, when they land on the object, her, him, this or that, whatever it may be, it imposes upon the object a kind of value or a significance which is not in the object. <coughs> Sometimes we have a, an attraction to an item, a good. Go to the marketplace and there's something that you saw somebody else was wearing or it showed you anything. Oh, I want that. I would like that. Whatever it, it might be. Natural and human enough. The exaggerated value with regard to the attraction towards the uh, object invests the object with more than it has in it. We think, believe the object will make me happy, even temporarily, we think the object will make me happy, and we start kind of organising consciousness towards that to get that which I want. All too human. There. We know it is attraction, that means it's a magnetic pull, which has not really been, we are not clear about. It pulls us over and we know when we're pulled into it because we get some pleasure if we get it and we experience unrest or irritation or upset if we don't. That's the sign. What is the reaction to what we want? And if it leads to an agitation, I can't get it, it's not quite what I want, or whatever, that agitation inside is the indication of investing the object with something it doesn't have. And it's the same with aversion. You see something, whatever. Go to the toilet and somebody hasn't pulled the chain. <laughs> Whatever it might be. Um, um, there's plenty of attractions and aversions that go on on the, on the retreat. And it's not unusual on the uh, retreat to all in the silence that one has what's been called for decades now, sometimes the Vipassana villain. VV. So people are just doing their practice and one person sneezes, clears their throat regularly in the meditation hall like Christopher. And uh, another, another person <coughs> snores in the night. And uh, another person is 
um, um, taking too much porridge onto the plate. And the aversion in the others start there. One would have thought that the one who coughs or enjoys a large big plate of uh, porridge or snores in the night. No. You'd have thought this person had committed a war crime. They have in the reaction. This person is destroying my retreat. This person, I'm sure I'd be closer to enlightenment by now if he didn't eat so much. (laughs) Or whatever it it might be uh, uh, about. And we want to just notice how easily there is the perception, the impression, the recognition, and then sometimes the aversion towards. And similarly can happen with the attraction uh, uh, element. I had to to smile a few few years ago here. Mahadev, the father of Sunu, our beloved cook, um, has the chai shop, strongly recommended by the way, right outside the front of the main gate. Some of you old Dharma Wallers know the place uh, well. So once, just, just a few years ago, I was just sitting in there, pretty well by myself, having a, having a chai. So uh, a young guy comes uh, there, uh, a German guy, probably in his mid-late uh, 20s, and sits down uh, next to me. And uh, he said, oh, I'd seen him before. He said, oh, hello, how are you? How long have you been in uh, India? Usual chat-chat. And then he said, oh, are you here for Christopher's retreat? <laughs> and I said, yes, you could say that. <laughs> like, like that. <laughs> not not say, saying any more. And, uh, and I said to him, and yourself? And he, he said, no, I'm, I'm a, um, a Goenka student. I said, oh. And I said to him, how many Goenka courses? They're 10-day courses. Probably a few, of, I know a few of you have done them here. I said, how many have you done? He said, uh, 19. I said, no, oh, yeah, quite some uh, commitment. And, and he said, of course I've heard about Christopher's retreats. Mm, some. I'm curious, aren't I? So I said, what what have you heard? (laughs) (laughs) And and he he laughed, and he said, said, what I've heard is that um, um, lots of beautiful women come on his retreats. (laughs) So I, I, I laughed, and I said to him, well, if lots of beautiful women are coming on Christopher's retreat, what on earth are you doing going to retreats for? So, <laughs> there. Two days later, because it's an open invitation for people to come, he walks in the hall and, oh! <laughs> you never know in life, do you? All right, sweet. So sometimes, yeah, how... Knowing 
exploration there is this development of the senses. It lifts the human spirit. It contributes to bringing us out of unhappiness or feeling low or down or fault-finding. It's placing less demands on the world uh, in which we uh, live there. And we are challenged, of course, to look at this attraction and uh, aversion and what that can do in terms of us not seeing well and clearly the world of the five senses. But also the same can apply as well to that which is of our past and sometimes there is a strong attraction to the past and when there's a strong attraction to the past it starts to generate a little bit more reactivity to the present and in one talk that I gave some time ago I was speaking around uh, uh, the time of uh, uh, childhood and mentioned in that I remember this is I remember I remember when I went to school we didn't have parents who were driving us there in the car holding our hand all the way etc and because a little bit of fearful and afraid that what might happen you know we were five years old seven years old we just walked to school the one place where I see this is still happening children very young going to school without parents the one place I see this is in Nablus in Palestine kids still go to school you see them coming you know, roads are no different from there roads are not in good condition often not pavements and the drivers around know that the kids are going to school and the kids are coming home from school and take extra care there but in most places I go to many many parents are accompanying the kids to school uh, as my uh, 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 daughter often does and one of the uh, good people said to me, which is a good point, Oh, Christopher, you're getting old. Talking about the 1950s, for God's sake, etc. And sometimes it can become the habit. Some of us spend time with old people. I do apologise for being in that category. And... And they're always talking about the good old days. So there is this attraction to the past, which was not as good as we imagine. And that leads to an aversion to the present. But it's the same. I can look to the future with great attraction. How great it will be. How lovely it will be. And the outcome of that is resistance to the present because I imagine a better future. But what is in common of the past, present and future? It's obvious. Sights, sounds, smells, t- 
taste and touch and our relationship to it. It was like that then, it is like that now, and it will be like that. And we can kind of escape into an imaginary past or an imaginary future, quite forgetting we live in a world of five rather special, unusual senses. Not doing bad. <laughs> One might think the Dharma teachings and practice is primarily a clarity about not investing in that attraction and aversion way so that the heartfulness is deep and the friendship, the empathy and the kindness is there the warmth and the sensuality is there the appreciation for beauty is there the recognition of the problematic in the world uh, is there but it's not in that force of attraction and aversion it's something deeper something not conditioned by our history and sometimes the presence of the other sentient insentient just touches a sweet place in the, in the being there and it's to recognise that sometimes it is to stop and just look at a plant not for, oh it's a nice plant oh I'll get my camera out and take a photograph of it but sometimes to look at a plant and to really look at a plant it's speaking to us it's informing us and in our awareness in our looking at the plant the plant will reveal more of itself and it will reveal more of what it's connected with because we've been still enough to look at the plant and let it talk to us in the exploration of all the senses in that way there is the awareness it's an expansive awareness which is revealing eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch it's revealing there and when the world when we, not perfectly have some peace with the world meaning you and I are not demanding anything with what we see hear, smell, taste or touch we're just not demanding in that way we have an interest in an, an, an awareness which is open and expansive and this awareness which is open and expansive can accommodate we can allow the seeing and hearing the senses just to move through the life to appreciate them 
to be with the rhythm and the flows of each day. Because we're not trapped in wanting and rejecting. Must have, can't stand anymore. We're not imposing that reaction. We're not giving or or, uh, throwing upon the old conditioning upon. And life, we can move freely with life. And this willingness to move freely with life helps this expansive awareness to stand out more. And this expansive awareness, this isn't easy to follow, hang in, this expansive awareness stands on the edge of the timeless and the time. And what I mean by that is everything which we see, hear, smell, taste and touch obviously is in the field of time. Right now, the time is this event. It would change and become in a few minutes another event. So everything we see, hear, smell, etc. is in the field of time. And there is this awareness this expansive awareness, this clear comprehension, to use the Buddha's words, can recognize and acknowledge that which is of time. And that awareness which reveals that has the whisper of some element which is timeless. And that element of that which is timeless there cannot be an object. Every object sight, sound, smells, taste and touch arises, stays for a while and passes. Another object rises, stays and passes. All in the field of time. And we, this extraordinary thing to be human, we can know enough expansiveness of our heart and our awareness to accommodate this world. To allow this world to pass through awareness, to pass through this expansiveness. And sometimes, as mentioned, when the world is not imposing on us, and we are not imposing on the world, there's an opportunity just to rest in this expansive awareness. Stay really quietly with it. Really listen. Really sense it uh, there. And there is something timeless about it. And if there's something timeless about it, it, you go deeply with it, timeless about it, it will show it cannot have a beginning, middle or end. That's the preciousness of it. We develop our senses to no liberation. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we?
may all beings be free from <coughs> making demands on the world. May all beings live with a deep sense of empathy. May all beings live with expansive awareness and liberation. Thank you for lending an ear. The uh, time is around uh, 4.40. A few uh, uh, one-to-ones before the food time and some uh, further uh, sitting, walking, standing, uh, as you wish. Thank you, thank you.